I'm just going to check to see if the clicker works. Ah, it does. There we go. You saw it. Now, so it's awesome uh, to be with you guys this morning. I'm sharing a message about your whole series is trusting God. Uh, but this week, it's about trusting God without control. So trusting without control. And uh, this whole week, has, it's been a busy week for me. So there's been stuff that's came up, right, that makes it where I don't get to sit down as much. That's the life of being a pastor. I love it. I wouldn't change it. And for a while this week, I said, oh, the reason I haven't, you know, finalized this message is because I've just had other stuff come up. It's just some pastoral care, you know. I'm putting people first, which is true. People do come first. But I think last night while I was finalizing it, I realized that's not the only reason this message has been such a struggle for me to write. Uh, I think it's been a struggle because I'm scared when I have no control over a situation. Now, uh, it terrifies me to have no control. Uh, a great example of this is last night I got the privilege, uh, there was a fight show up at Teen Challenge called Rumble for Rehab, uh, where they try to raise money for the center there. And the gym that I've been helping out with and coaching a little bit at, I got to corner some people. And cornering scares me more than fighting. Like, I would rather fight any day of the week than corner someone who, you know, you've helped train, you've held paths for, you go through a game plan. Because you know what? When the cage door shuts, I can't do anything but yell at them. And half the time, they don't do what you're saying anyways. You just get frustrated. And it scares me. I get more nervous cornering people than I did when I fought. You're in the, so you're sitting basically there in this cage, and I'm one of the people outside that's coaching them. And then in between rounds, I go in and I give them advice. Uh, yeah. So it's like boxing, but it was a cage, so there was no, no rings. But it's scary doing that, right? Because you have no control. I can't control what they do. I can't control what their opponent does. And it terrifies me. So, with my fear of control, it's made it really hard to write a message about trusting without control. But God loves his little sense of humor. But while sitting up uh, last night, and really trying to see, like, why is this so hard? And, you know, trying to finalize stuff. I discovered a reason for me why it's been uh, so challenging. And I guess for me, thinking about having no control takes me back to a moment of true powerlessness. Have you guys ever had a moment like that? And I feel like when I think about having no control, it takes me back to a couple moments but it takes me back into one moment in particular that really scares me, a moment I don't like to go back to. And before I, I share with you guys this moment I'm referring to, I want to look at the definition of control. So we're going to look in the Cambridge Dictionary. This is in the verb tense, what it says control means. And it's to order, limit, or rule something or someone's actions or behavior. I think we'd all agree that's a good definition, right? Now, I think true powerlessness comes when all of that gets taken away, when there's no control over order, there's no limits to what could happen, and you don't have any rule over what's happening in front of you. 
When those moments happen and all aspects of control are stripped away, I think those are the moments that we feel powerless. And it scares us, if we're honest. And I'm sure you might have moments that this has happened to you on your journey. I know for me, uh, this happened uh, at the Toowoomba Base Hospital when Gideon was around uh, two years old. So Gideon, who, if you haven't seen, he was the kid up at the back. He's my middle son. He's amazing, full of energy, doesn't sit still much. But at two, we were having these issues where he kept having seizures. But he would have these seizures not in hospital. So he'd have them at home, and they'd be like, did you record it? Which, now your first time in, you're kind of like, what? I'm just going to stop worrying about my kid and be like, hold on, hold on. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I got to record this. But we got better as time went on. But they could never catch a seizure in the hospital. And uh, he had a couple of, he had a seizure at home, so we took him in, and they've admitted us. And it's been a big week. I think this is around the same time uh, Kim and I's uh, Nana and Pop passed away. So there's a lot going on for us already. And we're sitting in the hospital, and the hospital's doing its best. Uh, but you, can, you know, you kind of get, have you ever gotten the sense in emergency when, you know, they might be pawning you out soon? Not in a bad way, just because, you know, whatever you're going through isn't showing up. And they're in an emergency room, so there's other people, right? So if it's not happening, oh, we'll slide you to the side and we'll get someone else. And it felt like it was kind of getting to that moment. And Kim was up there a lot, so Kim left uh, for a little bit. And I'm up there just with Gideon. And they told me, hey, if a seizure happens, we want you to hit this, this red button on the wall. Kind of like a, I don't know, I like to imagine that the President of the United States has like a nuke button. It looked like that. <laughs> like that kind of red button. Not a good button. Not a button you want to hit. But they said if he has one, hit that. I said, right, I'll do that. And Gideon wasn't feeling well, so he's like in and out. And he starts having one, so, you know, hit the button. Nurse comes in, starts, you know, kind of rubbing me on the back, saying, oh, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay. One doctor comes in. Another doctor comes in. Another nurse comes in. Gideon's seizure keeps going. He stops breathing. So they rush in the oxygen thing. He's on oxygen. The nurse gets quiet. She stops telling me everything's going to be all right. She's still rubbing my back, but she's not telling me everything's going to be all right. Uh, they come in with this medicine that they can give because seizures aren't meant to, I think it's like four or five minutes. They don't want a seizure to go past because that can be dangerous. But they didn't want to give him the medicine to stop the seizure because you do that, then he's not going to have any more. They're trying to figure out what's going on, right? So you have Gideon there on this hospital bed, and he gets to a point where he's pretty much a bit lifeless. If you've ever seen someone have a long seizure, it takes a lot out of them. And he's on oxygen. He's not breathing. And in that moment, I was terrified as a parent. I had no control. I had no control of what they were going to do to Gideon. I had no control over Gideon. There was no limit. There was no order. There was no nothing. It was a chaotic moment. Because the room went from just me and Gideon to me and Gideon and one nurse. And then there was like, by the end of it, there was like seven in there. And they have like my little, like a little two-year-old. 
and I'm just trying to figure out what's going on, and that moment scares me. And it scares me to even go back to that moment. And I think it's why I've struggled to write a message like this. So I guess my question for you this morning is how do we trust God in these moments and seasons? Now, I feel we all have moments where there's no control, but I think there's also seasons where we don't have a lot of control. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah, there's some, yeah. So how do we trust God in those moments, right? Because to me, it's easy to trust God when things are going right or when I got a little bit of control. Like, let's say I'm having financial difficulty. Although that could be horrible. At least I got some control because I can work, I can save, I can do some budget, I can, you know, in my Netflix account and, you know, Disney Plus, which is, oof, that's really hard. I love my Marvel, but I can do it. You know, I got stuff I can do. I'm talking about the moments you got nothing you can do. You have zero control. How do we trust God in those moments? I believe uh, we discover something really amazing in Joshua's story. So if you don't know, Joshua uh, was the leader of Israel after Moses, which, poor guy, that's a tough act to follow, right? All the stuff Moses is in, you're the next leader in line? I feel like if that was me, I would have had a sick day, you know, when it came for the next, like, oh, I'm feeling sick, sorry, Ugh. someone else, you know, go talk to God, oh, I can't do it, Ugh. Like, I, I wouldn't have wanted that job. It's a tough act to follow. But Joshua has a really interesting story in Scripture. And I'm not going to go through Joshua's whole story. I'm just going to pull out little bits. But I encourage you to look at it because it's truly amazing. And Joshua's life can be broken down into three segments. He spent 40 years in Egypt. So the story of Exodus and all that, he was there. He spent 40 years in the wilderness, and roughly around 25 years as the leader of Israel. So it's safe to say he's around when there's some pretty key moments in the God story, right? Of what God's doing for his people. Moments that maybe he probably didn't have a lot of control And I love what we read in uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. We read of Joshua receiving his commissioning from God, and I just want to read that to you. And it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, th that right there, like he's, I'd, be, I'd be pooping a brick, like, you were Moses' assistant, now you're whew, scary. Let's get, keep going. My servant, Moses, is dead. Now proceed to, the cro to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I had promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And the Libyan, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall lead this people to possess the land that I swore to their ancestors, or swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow. Now the, the really crazy thing to me about this commissioning from God is if you've been following along the story, uh, you would have noticed a number of occasions that Moses is kind of like, yeah, nah. Kind of like, test God, right? But it's not just the Moses thing. Let's be honest. All throughout you know, the Bible, you hear of these leaders that God calls that seem to question when God gives them their calling. You know, Gideon, all these great stories, they always question. And what's crazy to me is Joshua doesn't question God at all. And the next verse, we read of, his, of him commanding his troops to act. And Joshua, the book, kind of kicks off. Joshua doesn't sit and question, which is really crazy because when we consider what happened to his friend Caleb and him in Numbers 14, verses 6 to 10. Now, if you don't know, and I'll just I'll paraphrase this story a bit. There was a time where they were looking at the promised land, right? We all know that story. Moses sent out spies. All the spies came back and said, look, there's some big people. Like, like I'm not just talking like little big, like they're, whew, whew, let's just, you know. Are you sure God's on about this? I don't, you know, looking here is all right. You know, we just got out of Egypt. Let's just, you know, let's chill for a bit. Now, some spies gave some reports that scared people. You had two spies that did it, and that was Caleb and Joshua. And what's interesting about that verses 6 to 10 in particular is it's after these bad reports are given. And you read of Caleb and Joshua uh, tearing their clothes and kind of pleading with people one last time. You know, if God said he's going to do it, just trust us. He can do it. And then you read that the people wanted to stone them. So that's what happened. Before this 40 years in the wilderness that they have after that, this moment for Joshua. But yet when it's his time, when God says, all right, you know, you go, tell the people it's time, he doesn't question it. He's not like, hold up, do you remember what happened last time to me and Caleb? Like, can you just give me like a Thor hammer or something before I go talk to them or, you know? Maybe give us some growth pills so we can get really big because there's some big people out there. Like, come on, you got to have something. Give us some protein shakes. Like, help us out. No, there's none of that. 
Joshua just does it. And I'm sure this memory would be fresh. I don't think he would have forgotten about being stoned. I don't think you forget about people almost stoning you to death. Maybe I'm wrong. I've never had it happen to me, but I think that would stay in your mind. So my question to you is why does Joshua trust God so much when he has no control? I mean, if we're honest, it's great. God gave him this commissioning. But he doesn't tell everyone else this. Joshua doesn't have control over what the people say. And there's every chance that people will remember the last time they spied on the land and there was all these people. I mean, he doesn't have control of someone in the camp or one of his generals going, look, Joshua, you know, these guys are pretty big. We're not that big. Like, maybe let's, you know, get some allies. Let's think about it a little bit. You know, let's do some push-ups, get, you know, bulk off a little bit. No, there's none of that. He doesn't have control over that. But he doesn't question. He just goes. So easy, so natural, so different than most of the characters we see throughout the Bible. I believe this is because he knows who tames all forms of chaos, which is our God alone. I believe Joshua really knew this. Because, I mean, we need to remember about the time that Joshua was around. Joshua saw the Exodus story firsthand, which I think would be pretty cool to see, you know, Seas getting parted and all that stuff. It'd be pretty amazing, right? The plagues, all of that. Joshua was around for that. Not only that, he was on Mount Sinai with Moses. In Exodus 24, verses 13 to 14, we read of Moses telling the other elders to stay back, and his assistant Joshua goes with him up the mountain. So he's on Mount Sinai. When Moses talks to God face to face, you had his assistant Joshua, I guess, back here sitting, taking some notes. And who knows? But he was there. I think it's crazy. Now, I want to point out, I don't think it wasn't just the fact Joshua saw these events that led to him having this ability to trust God without control. So I want to make that clear, because there's no way I can get in a time machine and you know, go back to the parting of the Red Sea or go back to Mount Sinai and, you know, sneak up there like a ninja or anything like that. So we can't do that. And I don't think this is what makes Joshua stand out because you have all these events happening with Moses and throughout the Moses story, there's lots of pushbacks from Moses, which I get. I feel like I would have been a Moses, so hear me out. I would push back a lot too. I think for Joshua, it was his clear desire to develop a unique personal relationship with God behind the scenes. I think this is what makes Joshua stand out. And it's something we see in his story. If we read his story a little bit, if we follow his journey in Exodus, especially Exodus 33, verses 7 to 11, which I want to read with you. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. 
And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of, to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So if you don't know, this is a, they've got out of Egypt, they're traveling, they're trying to figure out, and they have this tent of meeting where God dwells. God's still doing amazing stuff for it. This is where you go to meet with God. And this is where Moses would go to meet with God. Let's keep reading. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them, at the entrance of their tent. That would be an amazing sight to see. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Now, did you catch the end? Did you, did you see the, the end bit? Now, Joshua would stay behind in the tent of meeting after the action had finished. You know, I like to imagine that after this Moses, moment, after Moses comes out, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, maybe they go back to do what they're doing. Maybe a couple of brave people go talk to Moses to see what, you know, what he's heard from God. You know, kind of life resumes, right? Everything goes. The limelight's now gone. But we read of Joshua not leaving the tent. Which I think is amazing. Because the action's finished. Right? He doesn't need to do anything anymore. He's done his job. He's assistant to Moses. Moses is done talking to God face to face. All right, Moses goes out. Camp goes back to normal life. And Joshua stays. He's doing this stuff behind the scenes. Because I believe if we want to trust God without control, we must know in our head and heart that God tames all forms of chaos. Which is done by developing a uniquely personal relationship with God. By doing a couple of things that we pick up in Joshua's story. The first is holding on to our divine moments. Now, I'm sure everyone in this room has had a moment that you can't really explain, right? That God kind of steps in. We got to hold on to those moments because I think Joshua did. He held on to the moments that he got to be a part of. And if you read his story, he's a part of some pretty amazing moments. And he holds on to those. Because that help reminds him who God really is. So that's what we need to do. Hold on to our divine moments. Whatever those are for us. The second thing we need to do is not chasing after the limelight. Which is something that I think Joshua never does in his story. There's a couple of times in his story, if we're honest, I feel like Joshua 
might have had enough following. He could have, you know, maybe kicked Moses over a little bit. You know, he could have got that leadership power, but he doesn't. He doesn't fight for the limelight. Heck, I'm sure a lot of you probably have never even noticed that on Mount Sinai, Joshua is there. We just read over that, right? Now, I feel like if I'm Joshua, I would want to, you know, gloat about it. But yeah, Moses was there. You know who else was there? This guy. This guy. I saw it all. I saw it all, man. But Joshua never does this. He also never does this when he stays in the tent of meeting after Moses' leave. He doesn't gloat afterwards. He doesn't say, look how good of a Christian I am. Look how good of a follower of God I am. Look at what I'm doing, guys. No, he doesn't do any of that. He never chases after the limelight. And I believe if we want to develop a uniquely personal relationship with God, we have to do these two things. And if we don't, I don't think we'll develop that relationship that we need to trust God when we don't have any control. And I think when we can do these things and develop this kind of relationship, it can show us how some of the moments where we had no control and felt powerless, God was right there taming the chaos. But we have to have this uniquely personal relationship. You know, for me, uh, going back to the hospital, God was so there in that moment. Because you know what? I don't know how Kim would have gone being there. But amazingly enough, we were swapping right before it happened. I mean, she still had to walk in afterwards when you had him a bit limp and on oxygen and cuddling, which I know was traumatic, but she didn't have to be there to see it happen, to be there on her own. God was in there for that. Also, we've been trying for ages to get them to see a seizure and take us seriously because they kept sending us home. And they kept saying it's fibril convulsions. And we're like, what are you talking about? He doesn't have a fever. Oh, well, we need to see him. And we record once, but oh, the recording wasn't right. They need to see it in person. And we were just going through these loops and never getting an answer. We were in and out of hospital with this kid all the time. But yet in that moment, he had one of the most extreme seizures he's ever had in a hospital with staff that could look after him, where doctors could see it actually happen. As much as that moment sucks, Looking back, I can see God in there with me, taming that chaos. And even funny enough, because God is just an amazing God, um, one of the nurses who came in after stuff kind of settles, right? Uh, and it didn't settle for a while. If you know anything about seizures, pe kids and people in general don't bounce back. It was a while before Gideon got taken off oxygen. It was a while before he wasn't so limp. And they were really nice to us in the hospital. You know, that's an extreme thing for parents, an extreme thing for Kim to come back and see. And one of the nurses who was swapping shifts came to meet us. And what was so crazy is Kim sitting there holding Gideon, obviously upset like any mom would, would be, telling this nurse about it. 
And this nurse is saying sorry, and Kim just goes, well, it's just all too much because we've also lost my Nana and Pop recently in a car crash. And this nurse goes, was that the one down the range? Kim goes, yeah. And he goes, I was here when they brought in John because Nana was declared at the scene, but John wasn't. And we had a lot of fear about John suffering. Kim did as well. You know what this nurse said? He said, don't worry. I can tell you when he came in, he wasn't in pain. He was already going out. He had a peaceful transition. So God even had this other little thing tagged in there. Now, obviously, there was still lots of hardship in that moment. That moment's still a hard moment for me. But if I develop this uniquely personal relationship with God, if I really sit with God, I'll see his fingerprints on those moments. Because while there might be chaos around me, God's the one who tames all the chaos. So church, I want you to, remem- to always remember in times without control that our God tames all forms of chaos. And I think if we're able to do that, then we can trust God without control. Then we'll be able to stand up to the battles that we all face, the things that we go through, the things that rattle us, the things that leave us broken and shaken because we'll know in our head and heart who tames all the chaos. Because I feel like that's something throughout Scripture for me personally, you see throughout all of Scripture, God's trying to weave that in. Even the very beginning of God's story of creation where it says the Spirit was hovering over the waters. If you know anything about theology and ancient religious cultures, water water is a form of chaos. And in all other stories of creation, there's a great war between the gods to tame this chaos. But in our story, what does God do? He simply speaks, and order comes in. So I think throughout all the scripture, throughout Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, again and again, God's trying to show us that he can tame all forms of chaos. So we can trust him. We can trust him when we don't have control because we know who's there with us. But it starts with us developing that relationship with him. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to hold on to the divine moments in your life, the moments that words can't explain. And I don't know what those moments would be. Maybe someone in here has got a cool story where you've heard you know, God's audible voice. I, n- I never have. I think my coolest moment was feeling a warmth at 15 uh, when I wanted to, to end my life and feeling this big warmth and bear hug, which was kind of not actually telling me, but I guess in some way telling me that I was loved and it was going to be okay. So it might be a moment like that. It might be a moment completely different, but hold on to those moments. And then while we're holding on to those moments, let's not chase after the limelight. Let's not be those Sunday Christians who show up with our Bible and take great notes and we'll listen on Sunday to the preacher guy and communion, whoever else, and then we just leave our Bibles closed the rest of the week. Leave our time with God closed the rest of the week. Let's be people who actually dive in with God. And that's even a challenge for me. So I want you to think like I'm not... I am not perfect. I need to get better. My relationship with God isn't as strong as it should be. 
I could tell you on one hand how many times I spend with God now where it's not preparing for a message or praying about the direction of the church or praying about something going on in someone's in the church's life. And if I keep going at that rate, I'm not going to have that relationship with God. And when chaos comes, I'm going to crumble. And I'm sharing that with you to let you know that I'm not perfect. This is not a message to call anyone out in this room, so please understand that. It's just a message to say, hey, I want to be like Joshua. And will you join me in that? Will we develop this uniquely personal relationship with God? So when the chaos comes, we can still trust without control. So I'm just going to close in prayer, and then the worship team's going to come back up. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for taming the chaos again and again throughout Scripture. I thank you that you don't leave our side. And the moments where we're powerless and control has been ripped from us. If it's a moment, if it's a season, you're always there with us. You're always there helping us, supporting us, taming that chaos. And I pray that you'll help us realize that by developing a uniquely personal relationship with you. That goes beyond Sunday. It goes beyond preparing for home groups or messages and all that stuff. It just goes for us wanting to be with you. In your amazing name, amen.